Ruth, welcome to our podcast, The Mal and Johnny Show. Now then, when did you two first work together? Can, can you remember when it was? Uh, 1966, going on to 67. Right. That's right. It's just before Reese was born, I think. I always go, Mal, by my children when they were born. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I can remember everything. Um, and that's when we first met. And we met in a, a, a programme for BBC Wales called Nessa. What oh. Next? Do you remember we used to have to learn those songs in Welsh, Ruth, and we didn't know what the hell we were talking about? No, sure, they said, God, we never talk. We talk on a guan when moine. Remember that one? I oh. do, we never forget them. But at that stage, then, did, did either of you speak Welsh, you know, well native? Were you, were you naturally Welsh speaking, did either of you? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I say say to um, Ryan Davis when eventually I did um, some um, comedy with him. I said to him, "For goodness' sake, don't stop because I don't know where we are." Because I'd learned it parrot fashion, so I, I didn't know where we were. You know, I just knew it from, from the top of the scene to the bottom of the scene. So um, that's what he used to do. He never used to stop. Uh, we'd do pickups, then he'd say, it's from so-and-so, so-and-so, but I never knew. <laughs> you, were, you were very brave acting in Welsh, Blinking Neck. I used to just sing it because I couldn't understand it. I, I went and learned it afterwards, but I mean, I couldn't add lib if I went wrong in a song. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, because the strange thing is, both, I mean, I, I'm an outsider here. Both of you are a bit of frauds. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where you were, but Johnny Tudor. <laughs> I, were you born in Salisbury or your mum and dad were... But you, Ruth, no, from Norwich. Well... I'm Norwich. Shocking. Yes, I'm I was born in Aberdeen, mate. I'm a, oh, I'm a Welshman. You're a Welsh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll accept that. But Ruth, you were born in Norwich. Why? I mean, you didn't I have. Was, you didn't yeah. have much. Much. In the middle of the Second World War. Yeah. And I'm very proud of the fact because my mother was a matron of General Hospital, wow. so she couldn't get home to Wales to have me. Yeah. And yeah. there was there was there was no petrol. You know. So I'm very proud of the fact that my mother was working right up to the minute I was born. My father was from Cardiff, my mother was from Van Samlet. At three weeks of age, I was brought down to my grandmother to spend, spend time with her because my mother had no staff available yeah. to look after these people. So, yeah. you know, I'm extremely proud of the fact that, yes, I was born in Norwich, but I'm Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> it's only by default. I wasn't born in, in Salisbury Plain. My, my, my mother was on tour, my father, but she went back to my grandfather at Aberdeen. That's why I was born in Aberdeen. So it's the same thing, really. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we're the same age, um, give and take a few months. Um, right. And it was, it was quite, there was, you know, you had to save up for petrol and mm. things like that. My mother, you know, my mother desperately obviously wanted to come home to Wales to deliver her child, but mm. she couldn't, you know, and that was the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> now then, you, you, your grandmother, uh, tell me a little bit yeah. about her and, you know, and your time spent in Llansamley, because that was an English and an Anglo-Welsh home, wasn't it? Was Grandad who spoke English and, and your grandmother spoke Welsh? That's right, but he did understand a lot of Welsh. I think it was... Um, when I came along, and of course I was with her on and off until I was seven, because my mother and father desperately wanted to have me with them. But because 
the very embryonic health sale this happened in 1948 and they were partly instigators of it oh. you know they were there my father was a senior administrator you know no, people don't realize to set something up like the national health services was very difficult mm. my father wrote an essay about it um which i think is in some archive somewhere about um he, he was in his office and this bloke came in and crushed his spectacles in front of him and said all right now i get them free wow ah that is it's interesting oh. you know we, we've taken it all we take particularly now we've taken it so much for granted but yes your parents went yeah. through the startup and and something yeah. that we we have... had to explain that you know we were paying for the national health service lots of people thought it was totally free because you know they didn't take into account that their uh, their tax was going to pay for it mm. they had no idea yeah. so they had to be educated like they really had to be educated through taking the vaccine I mean, <laughs> that's right have you had your vaccine ruthie Oh, I've had mine, yes. I'm John's had his. Have you had oh, yours? Yeah, I've had mine. Alwyn still can't have hers yet because she's still working until Thursday and then she's going to go and get one, I think, hopefully. That's right. Mal, have you had yours? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the letter to come. Waiting for the letter to come. Oh, but bless yeah, But mum and bless. my, my mum and my mother-in-law, they've all had them as well. So it's, it is slowly right. but surely, slowly but surely, right. isn't it? Getting back to my grandmother, who was an absolute godsend, uh, in my story, because um, she was very artistic. She'd won the national by Stedford, open soprano, over 18s or whatever it was in those days. And um, she had uh, in her front room, she had uh, an harmonium, she had a piano, <laughs> and we had a harp. So I was brought up with music. So it was little wonder, eventually, that I sort of made my mark in musicals mm. in the West End and things like that. Um, because, I mean, it was ingrained in me. And the interesting thing, Mal, is that um, had I wanted or I'd had the ability, education, to become a scientist, I wouldn't have been allowed to because I was fulfilling what my mother and my grandmother wanted to be on the stage. Don't so, put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington. <laughs> interesting, because, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but, you know, well, actually, Johnny, your family were in entertainment. My, my parents yeah. are both teachers. And so, um, you know, getting a proper education, getting a proper job, uh, it was always very much in, in our, you know, in our upbringing. But uh, so you were, in, were you actually encouraged to go to RADA? Was that something that the family were behind yeah. you with? You didn't have to fight for yeah. it. No, my, my, I think my, my aunt was the only one who had influence. She was a village midwife, you know, so she had influence. And, um, <laughs> she was she one said, of the she, she, <laughs> she was, well, she's, yes, bless her heart. Uh, she was lovely. Um, she was the only one that sort of put up an opposition to it. Uh, but it's, you know, she soon stopped it as soon as she saw her sister, my grandmother, and her niece, my, my mother, behind me. And I won a, a bursary at the age of 16, you see, to RADA. Was it the voice as a soprano? Is that what got you in, do you think? No, no but this, 
This is purely acting. There wasn't there wasn't any um, music in those days attached to your course. So it was the spoken word, which, of course, I was eternally grateful for, because that's been the basis of my career. See, I, I remember you, first of all, when we met, you were a, a soprano on the programme. I mean, oh, so yes. I, I just knew you as a singer. I, I, but no. I tell you what, I, I always think of you when we finished that series, I was doing a gig somewhere in Northampton. I had nowhere to stay. Do you remember? And yes. I rang you and you said, come and stay with me. I'm only done the M1. And of course, I'd come in at two o'clock in the morning and burst into your bedroom and start telling you jokes. I don't know what Philip thought of it was great, thank God, because Philip was so perfaced about the pregnancy that, you know, it was delighted. Like relief at two o'clock in the morning, believe you me. <laughs> Ruth, how, how were you such a good actress then at that age? Was that something just natural or was it something that you, you, you were practising sort of in chapel, in, in, you know, in productions back home in Wales or in Norwich? How did, the, how did you discover that you had that acting ability? Um... By imitating all my grandmother's friends that came into the house from the age of about three. And I used to get a flip for it, <laughs> you know. Don't you do that, you know. And all that went on. Naughty, naughty, you know. But I loved it, you see, because I'd go back up, you know, somewhere, you know, into another room and practice in front of the mirror, these, these faces and, and these people. And they were all old. <laughs> compared to, you know. Um, so that's the way I found out, really, that I had observance, and that's all it is. I mean, acting is observance and interpreting what's on that page. Mm. So when I actually won this bursary, it was a godsend, because then I went and also studied at the Royal Academy of Music, in that time, I got extra money because my, my parents um, didn't have to pay for the um, ed, the courses at RADA. There was money left over. They put a certain amount away. Um, so I went to, to the Royal Academy of Music and studied under the great Eva Turner, who was a wonderful soprano. She was very ancient at this particular point, um, but she, she was a very, very good teacher. And also another teacher called Brechen Powell. He was from Carmarthen. He was a wonderful tenor. But unfortunately, as, as can happen in our business, um, he got stage fright. Right. And he couldn't go on stage, and yet he had this wonderful voice. Mm. So he taught me for a while as well. So I had very two very good teachers, and touch wood and the good Lord, I've never lost my voice. No, and that voice has obviously stood you in good stead. Having gone to Rada, yeah. was the temptation then to go into, I mean, I mean not to, to do musical theatre? How, how did, you know, because they're, they're funny. The arts are supposed to be the most, you know, liberal people. And, and sometimes you can, pin, you know, you can pigeonhole yourself very quickly and say, well, I'll not do that or I can't do that. Was it just the job that was open for you at the time? Absolutely. What happened was you could, there was no such thing as musical theatre to start off with. It wasn't labelled as that. 
It was called Musical Comedy. I remember my parents saying it was Musical Comedy. I can never make it out because it wasn't supposed to be funny, was it? It was all singing and acting, you know. I mean, you had the film of Porgy and Bess, but that was about all you had. So everything else was relatively fluffy and was, um, you know, perchance to dream or King's Rhapsody or one of them, you know, where we got, you'll gather lilacs from and all that business going on. It was between opera and burlesque, if you like. Yeah, it's a good analogy. This musical comedy was. Mm. So you had to be able to sing. Remember, (laughs) we had no personal mics whatsoever. So if you had a 36-piece orchestra with you, then the MD had to accompany you. Funny you should say that. When I I did my first musical in the West End, it was in the Fortune Theatre, which is a small theatre, as you know. And we didn't have any any microphones at all. We just (laughs) had to project our voices. I didn't have a mic until well into... 1980s, and that was only a stand mic in Panto, and then we got personal mics mid 1980s. Not amazing. Well, you know, so, yeah. so many artists these days would not survive, including myself, <laughs> without a well, mic. Well, it's because you weren't trained, man. Mm. Yeah. Man, you weren't trained. If you'd been trained with somebody like, you know, um, Brachen Powell, who had a great voice, but knew how to develop the voice on the breath and all the rest of it, yeah. then you you would have. Of course you would have. You um, had to, you have to reach survive. the gods at the back of the stalls with a voice. Absolutely. And I always remember when I first started, my mother sitting at the back of um, the stalls or the upper circle or the circle, but always at the back and listening to the dialogue. Because I was doing a lot of um, Shakespeare and things like that. Um, and uh, she'd say, mumbling, mumbling, cannot hear you, diction, diction. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how it, you know. I, I, of course, I used to say, yes, mum. <laughs> Certainly paid off, Ruth, because you're talking very, very nicely today. <laughs> My mother always used to say to me, when she used to come and see um, Heidi High, she'd say, it's going skrechen, Ruth. It's going skrechen. Nobody be able to say. Understand you in John O'Groats. <laughs> <laughs> she was absolutely right. But you're saying um, about Panto, Ruth. I mean, we never, as you say, we didn't have mics, not personal mics at all. And the kids were shouting and bawling. You had to get over all that and just project yes. over the top, you know. <laughs> I'll never forget working with Denny Willis. who was Oh, lovely Denny Willis. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Mal, he was um, a lovely Scotsman. I mean, talking about um, Denny, he was with the Folderols for a long time, I think, because he... Yes, he, he was. Under, what was that thing he used to do, the Corn Quartet? It's the, the funniest corn, the corn, thing. The corn, 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 the
Oh boy, you have to stop that. What's remarkable listening to the two of you talk is how, you've talked about variety, but how, all the variety of the jobs that you were doing. What was it like coming back to Wales to do those TV shows for you, Ruth? Well, they were great. um, And I loved doing them because obviously that was the sort of uh, culture I was brought up on, poems and pints, if you like, you know, in the vestry. Um, But... I also liked working with Ryan, Ryan Davis, um, because he was, he was so good and so clever. Ode to the Severn Bridge. (laughs) Two lands at last connected across the waters wide and all the tolls collected on the English side. (laughs) Um, when, when we did, um, oh, Vauve. Again, you know, it was absolutely lovely to come back. And it was a challenge, you see. And if it's the one thing I do like, it's a challenge. Mm. Do you know um, what, Ruth, watching Vauve, they've, they've repeated it a few times. And, of course, when it was first done, I couldn't understand it, as you know. So yeah. since learning Welsh, I've watched it, and it's just so funny. I mean, and a lot of people don't know Vauve. In the north, people call Vauve is him, and in the south, yeah. it's Vauve. So it was Vauve, the north, yes. and the well, and north and south mixture, wasn't it? Mm. That's right. You did Milk Wood with Ryan, didn't you? I did. I did yeah. do the film where I met your beloved Alwyn. Yeah, she had a part. She played Gwenny yeah. the schoolgirl. She was 24 at the time. That's right. <laughs> uh, and I was saying this is hybrid too. Bit risky as well, Ruth. A bit risky. What, that scene with you in the water, Ruthie? Wow. <laughs> that's what it had to be. It was part and parcel of the uh, story. Yes, we talk, we've got lots of different things. Um, I would like to go back a little bit um, to uh, um, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, I only did this cattle market audition of 500 women and me, um, 501. <laughs> um, and um, eventually got whittled down and whittled down and whittled down uh, to five, three, two. And I was left. Wow. And uh, the only reason I got it, I'm sure of this, Ma, because I sent it up, because I had chutzpah. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful, Mal, because we're going to do, in March, a great big platform um, internationally. Um, there's very few of us left. Topol is, is not well, so he won't be on it. But um, Norman Jewison, who directed it, and I presume John Williams, who conducted the score, he didn't write it this time, but he, he conducted, um, will be on it as well. And Michael Glazier and uh, various people. And we're doing a link up between America and, and the UK um, on, I think it's the 5th of March, because it's the 50th anniversary of the film. Wow. wow. Isn't that lovely? That, so that- I'll, I'll be doing that. Did you know it was a, a special f- film? Obviously, Topple was wonderful. And the music, the stories, and it had been a hit in the West End. But being a part of that production, how, how did it feel like to be on the stage working with those amazing actors and those amazing songs too? My next door neighbour, 
um, had the long player of it and she'd seen it. I hadn't seen it. I couldn't afford to go to the West End. I had no money. Um, so uh, I, I borrowed the record and I learned for the last four auditions, I learned the song off the record. So the next thing was that I thought I'd better go and see it. So my mother gave me the money to go up in the gods of the, uh, I think it was Her Majesty's it was in. Well, I knew some of the music because it was on this long player. Mm -hmm. If I were a rich man, da 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 da, that one, um, and, and various other ones. But I didn't know much about it. Well, when I saw it, I was bowled over. I thought, oh, bloody hell, I'm in this. What heck? So I went back to my mum, and it meant that I wasn't doing pantomime that Christmas, the Christmas coming, because I was going to be employed. And I was employed for six weeks on it, that one scene. I only did 10 days on it eventually, mm. but it was six weeks. So and the great thing was I had a car to take me from St Albans to Pinewood Studios every morning at five o'clock in the morning. Remember, I had a little boy at home. You know, so everything had to be done. The nappies had to be done. Everything had to be done. Uh, Norman Jewison said to me, Ruth, would you like to come in and see the bottle dance being, um, being filmed? Well, I was thrilled. I mean, I was absolutely thrilled. And even my set, the, the graveyard scene, which was a replica, apparently, of um, Prague, Jewish cemetery, yeah. was amazing. <laughs> They actually gave me my um, my, my tombstone because it was glass fiber, and I had it. I had it in the, in the garden for years until it disintegrated. <laughs> I tell you what, Ruth, one of your most powerful performances I've seen you do was when you played Dorothy Squires. I thought you did a fantastic job. I like playing Dorothy. And I fought very hard for that part because I wanted to do it, and I knew there were very few in. Wales that would do Dorothy justice. Yeah, it did great business. With, I mean, if you remember, I mean, the, the, the Sherman was sold out nearly every year for three weeks. And then you went up yeah. to, um, was it uh, Theatre Cloyd? They had to put an extra show on, I think. Yes, they did. People were coming did. in from Manchester and all over That's the place. That's right. Do you know, I'm talking yeah. to you now, I've thought something. It would make a fantastic musical and Mal writes musicals. We should yeah. think seriously yeah. because it's such a great story anyway. And if it was done as a musical, think of all the songs that Dorothy sang, you I've got a pocket full of dreams. That one, you know. Yeah. Um, she wrote some wonderful stuff. I loved her, and that's why I wanted to play her, you yeah. know, because I loved her immensely. I thought she was great. Mm -hmm.